Good evening, everybody. We are here. It's interesting between Good Friday and mm. Resurrection Sunday. We have a Q and A, uh, and but the questions are not connected either, either with the uh, crucifixion or the resurrection. The questions are basically life yes, questions. Life, yeah, we just thank God. You know, there are so many out there. They know what they are going through. It's tough, tough time for the church. And they hang on to everything that we do from here, the ministry, the Monday, the Tuesday, the Wednesday, the Thursday, the Friday. We have seven days. And I just thank God that we are able. God gave us a place, the opportunity, the resources to be able to minister to people, even in Q&A. And I just thank God. I pray, Lord, even today, somebody would be encouraged, edified, strengthened, blessed. We come at this time. Father, I just thank you, Lord, for everyone who's part of this, Lord, seen, unseen, above all your spirit, your unction. Touch, Father, today. Yes. The people who asked, the people who listen, and us for wisdom, for understanding, for that anointing that teaches all of us, Lord. Yes. Comfort, heal, deliver, strengthen, edify your body. Truly, Father, there is a church out there the world doesn't see. Mm. They have nothing and nobody except you. And they are like that deer that panders for the water. And it is to them primarily we minister, Lord. Edify them. Strengthen them. Until you take them home. Thank you. Thank you, Father. Thank you, Lord. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. 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 Yes. Pastor Vijay. Pastor, we'll start with one life question. Uh, it's question number 12. It says, uh, Pastor, what should be my reaction if my worldly friends are angry with me because I've cut my connection with them uh, and my time from them? And they know it is because of the time I spend with church and my other work. Um, it's it's perfectly perfectly normal. It is supposed to happen. If it, it didn't happen, then there is something wrong with your faith. Mm. But um, if that's the only reason, it does not matter. But that's that's probably uh, what everybody went through. The Daniels of this world. Everyone goes through. Like of course, my pagan friends were not so upset. They were not angry. They were more upset. Every place I was in, I remember whether it was when I got saved in college and a graduation and in IFLU and also at my secular workplace when I went into work with primarily for the church and I was not there with the, and uh, they were not angry with me. They were upset with me. Mm. Uh, angry is one word, but that happens. Okay. But don't get upset about it. It is normal and you have to, you have to. And slowly God will wean away all these friends. And let me give you a scripture. Because no, everything, every council has to stand on the strength of scripture. First we'll read Psalm 1 verse 1. Remember they are pagan friends. So it doesn't matter how good they may seem outwardly. This is the first verse. I would say the entire set of psalms is built on this one verse. Yes. Hmm. Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the ungodly, nor stands in the path of sinners, 
nor sits in the seat of the scornful. So we'll end up actually spending less and less time with our, I mean, honestly, we, we don't even spend time. We just, we, we are friendly with them, mm. but they are not our friends. I hope you get the difference. We are very friendly with everybody, but we are very picky about our friends. And then you come to that, that, um, portion in Corinthians. Where it actually talks, yeah, actually talks about chapter six, second uh, Corinthians chapter six and verse 14. Mm. Okay. Do not be unequally yoked together with unbelievers for what fellowship has righteousness with lawlessness and communion has light with darkness. Very powerful words that I used. Okay. One, it's unequal yoking. Second, how can you have fellowship? Because friends usually talk. And if you are a sold out Christian, ultimately what can you talk with unbelieving, not just friends, even unbelieving family members. Conversation is very, very restricted. I know personally very, very restricted. When I talk to family members, it's not that I just, I just love my brothers and my sisters, of which only one sister is saved on. My side of the family and my mother, wife's side of the family, they are almost all of them are saved. So the relationship is very different. I love my both my sisters, but with one elder sister, I am able to fellowship. With the other, I am able to discuss just family matters, her situation, and the weather. <laughs> God, God, very very carefully, wisely does not come into the picture because immediately it brings in conflict. So you realize that. So ultimately, if you ask, who do I talk to more? I would always say with the believing one and not with the, is, is that that I don't love the other one? No, actually, I love her more because there is compassion also. Like I don't need so much compassion for the older one because she knows the Lord. But I need so much compassion for the younger one because she needs to be saved. Mm. She needs to be saved. So we need to realize that's how relationships work. If you go down to verse 15. And what accord has Christ with Belial? What part has a believer with an unbeliever? Now you said about that, right? Pagan, you're a believer and the other, your friends are unbelievers. What agreement has the temple of God with idols? For you are the temple of the living God. The premise over here is basically God is saying that you are the temple of God. You have no idols primarily in your heart because your heart is taken by God. But the unbelieving friend comes with so many idols. And if you want to have a conversation with them, we know all from practical experience, they speak from their idolatry. Yet they do not want a, a solution that we give them. Solution, what we give them. They don't want to hear that solution. Whether it is a general conversation or whether it is a problem, will they accept our counsel? No, they will not accept our counsel. They'll say, no, no, don't just say that. We don't want to hear anything about Christ or any of those things. So that's what the Bible is talking about. For God has said, I will dwell in them and walk among them. I will be their people and they shall be my people. And look at verse 17. Therefore, Mm. Come out from among them and be separate, says the Lord. Do not touch what is unclean and I will receive you. Now, it's not talking about eating from food, this thing. He says, don't even touch their conversation. 
because we touch with our spirit. If you sit with them, ultimately, they are not going to change. They don't want to listen to your kind of stuff. But you will end up listening mm. to their stuff. And you know what? It touches your spirit. And that's what God is talking about. Do not touch anything unclean. Because uncleanness comes through conversations. It comes through conversations. And you need to realize, even when you are trying to, okay, you say, but I want to save my friends. Listen to what Jude says, two attitudes when you are trying to save people. Turn with me to the the, the book of Jude. Okay. Verse 22. 22, 23 is how you deal with people. On some have compassion, making a distinction. Okay, it says you have to have compassion. But even when you're having a compassion, you should have compassion on all who do not believe, who doubt, who are skeptical, who, not all unbelievers. You should have compassion because you know if you don't believe in Christ, where you are going. And there is no ex- exit there. It's a it's a terrible, terrible place with no exit where people are going. And the words Jesus used, Jesus uses, where the fire never dies, goes out, and the worms do not die. Okay, worms do not die. Okay, basically, why is he using these two terms? You need to understand why he's using these two terms because unbelievers understand it very well. Unbelievers also understand it very well. There are two ways dead bodies are disposed. The unbelievers in many places, they cremate them. And in their eyes, they see their, their bodies of their loved ones have gone and they gather the ashes and keep it urns. That was a pagan system. The Jewish system was they bury and they know when they bury, the worms eat them up. So two ways the bodies are disposed. And God is bringing a very powerful illustration. He says, you know what? The fire will never go out, meaning the body will continue to burn for all eternity. And two, the worms never die. They always have something fresh to eat. He's talking about the horror of dying without knowing Christ. Therefore, we have to have compassion. You have to have compassion. You have to have compassion on all those who are not saved, irrespective of their faith. But others, how do you make the distinction? Say with fear, pulling them out of the fire, hating even the garment defiled by the flesh. Mm. The garment is their conversation. Not talking about their clothes. Clothes don't matter. Put in the washing machine. It doesn't matter. It's talking about their life, their garments, their conversation, everything. He says, when you save them, when you are trying to be a witness with them, be very, very careful. Do not be partaker of their conversation. When you are saving them, you save them without touching anything of their spirit because it has been defiled by their flesh. So, going back to the question, it is simple. Some people will just say, okay, I don't want anything more to do with you. But some people will be like, okay, I want to hear more. Wherever Paul went, you will see these two things somewhere. It's so mad. They just wanted to kill him. The other side will come back and listen again. Okay. But you will see he does not, he's not an obnoxious person. He's a very kind, compassionate, friendly person. And when he says, I am all things 
to all people he doesn't mean that he's becoming like them mm-hmm. in their conversation but basically he's saying when there are certain things we can do with them which does not affect our faith which yes. does not affect our faith okay so when he says when you are eating ask no questions where did you buy this from don't ask any questions but if they are inviting you for a religious festival just say no but if you go to this thing and they give you something don't worry with thanksgiving and prayer of faith it is sanctified okay some people become very this thing you know they go to a unbeliever's house and they will sorry we can't eat anything because we are christians and you offend them you offend them and thereby we are like the we are saying you are unclean okay and we are acting exactly like the brahmins would act with the lower castes so can christ had no issues with anything like that he says no you don't have to worry about it it's also a manifestation of our faith that greater is he that is in me like we saw the words which jesus said what comes in does not defile you it goes elementary it goes it it's an elementary dr watson it is elementary it gets into elementary canal and it exits it doesn't but what comes out of your heart how did it get into your heart is the first place it is something you touched in the spirit mm. that doesn't exit that doesn't exit what gets into your mind into your soul it does not exit it has to be confessed cleansed and removed by god that's why it says don't go into it so it does not matter they know it is because of the time i spend with the church and my other work so if slowly they do not change and they are not interested i would tell you young man and all the young men and women you will have to cut off you will have to cut off ultimately you have to wean them off get off that let god give you a new set of okay if you turn to what paul tells Timothy is a young man through in the letter to Timothy he tells very clearly okay these are powerful lessons from great men of god um 2 Timothy chapter 2 verse 22 okay 21 on oh, 20, let's read from 20 you have to motive is important because a lot of people won't do this because they don't have the right motive what empowers you is your motive this is what the motive is in a great house there are not only vessels of gold and silver but also wood and clay some for honor some for dishonor the question is what do you want to be a vessel of honor or a vessel of great house is god's house you can be a vessel of honor or you can be a vessel of dishonor vessel of honor abraham vessel of dishonor lot so the only thing you turn about lot is that he was a righteous man but don't be like him he was not unrighteous he was a righteous man so therefore if anyone cleanses himself from the latter he will be a vessel for honor and sanctified useful for the master prepared for every good work now one facet about cleansing yourself is written in verse 22 mm-hmm. flee also youthful lust but pursue righteousness faith love peace with those who call on the lord out of your pure heart mm-hmm. one of the way you cleanse yourself is changing your company you leave your pagan friends and pursue god with the set of godly friends that is one of the way otherwise you'll be constantly like a seesaw you get cleansed in church you go back to the other crowd you come back you go it is like you'll be a miserable person okay so this people people forget that that one of the ways of cleansing which paul talking about is also it's a choice you make of the company because the bible says evil company corrupts good character evil company does so it's very very careful 
you have to be careful about the company you keep that doesn't mean we do not we are not friendly to non believers or even within the church who are, we are we are but ultimately you know where you rest mm. okay where you rest it's like the three decks in mm. in noah's Mozart. ark yes they are all got into the ark but the lower deck is full of creepy crawly things second deck is for those who are four footed who are standing you have to think logically and the top other ones who fly and Noah can go up and down. He has to go check on everybody, how everybody is doing. But that doesn't mean he sleeps with the snakes at the bottom. Okay, where he rests, he takes his afternoon nap in the middle deck with the wolf. No, he doesn't. Finally, he's always there. He goes there. But when he goes there, he's always going there, something to give mm, and not to receive. Yep, yep. Not to receive. He's not receiving anything at the lower deck. He's not receiving anything in the middle deck. He's receiving something at the top deck. Okay, that's the only company you can ultimately give, uh, receive from. That's what the Bible is talking about. So this is, these are very conscious decisions you have to make if you want to walk with God. Because unless you agree, they cannot. Well, let's have that also up. This is Amos the fundamental principle of fellowship. Amos three three. Amos three three. Unless can two walk together unless they are agreed? No. And the fundamental thing we need to understand is that ultimately the purpose of walking with God is to be taken. Wow. Two will be in the bed, one will <laughs> be taken. That's your whole purpose. The wow. question is, if you are a man and you choose to walk with your wife more than walk with your God and your wife is not interested in walking with God, example of Lot, who will take you? God doesn't take you. Your wife will take you. Okay. Wife will take you. One way or other. Okay. If your wife, you are a woman who walks with God, your husband is not interested, who will take you? That's a question Abigail has to answer. She doesn't realize. Either Nabal will take you down or David will redeem you. That's a question. David is a picture of Christ. It's a picture of Christ. Either Christ will take you, that is David marries her, or Nabal will take her down all the days of her life. It's a question of Ruth and Orpha. If you go back to, you have been a choice. Go back to your country, go back to your people, go back to your gods. You have a future. Temporal. Ruth makes a decision. She chooses to go with the God of Israel and she is redeemed. Orpha, we don't even know where she is. Okay, so you have to, you can only make these choices because of God, not of anything else. That's why God said, love God with all your heart, all your might, all your strength. Love your neighbor as yourself. So when you love your neighbor as yourself, the first thing you need to understand is, what do you want for yourself? Mm. I want to be taken. So do you want you to be taken? Do you want your neighbor to be taken? Yes. So simply ask the question, if you compromise, will he be taken? Hmm. Your compromise is not helping you or him. It's not help. Okay. If Daniel had compromised, would Shadrach, Meshach and Abednego stood up? I don't think so. No. I don't think they had the strength to stand up. Yes. Okay. If he had compromised, he would have been taken with the rest of Babylon. But because he did not compromise, three others joined him. 
and there was always a testimony of Daniel. We don't know others. The other Babylonians were there, and Israelites were there, who were not in the royal, this thing. But the word will go out, and every father will tell his child in Babylon, look at Daniel, look at Daniel, look at him. He has never compromised. Because Babylon will have a different story about Daniel. Israel has a different mm. story about Daniel. So when the dispensation takes place, when the remnant come back, the Bible doesn't say four people went back. Look at the numbers of people mm. who go back. Question is, who inspired them? I'll start with Daniel, yes. Mm. Who inspired them? It is the Daniels, the Nehemiahs, and the Esthers who inspired them. So you are bigger than yourself. Mm. Okay, you need to realize. You may not even realize the decisions you take, but if those decisions you take are for Christ and you share in the sufferings of your Christ, behind or in your shadow will walk a lot of people. You may not see them, but your shadow covers them. Okay, and that's how you make your place in Christ's history. You have your niche in Christ's history. So, be very, very careful. Fellowship is so, so important because doctrine and fellowship go together. When you have worldly friends and you spend a lot of time, there's a doctrine that is happening over there, a teaching of doctrine that is happening over there. You do not realize. Mm. You may think it is casual conversation. It is not. It's nothing. You cannot have a conversation with an ideology behind it. Why do you believe in this? Why do you believe in this? Let's say, we'll say, okay, I have my friends. We don't do anything. We just go. I don't even go to the bar. We just sit and chill. And what do you talk? We talk about cricket for hours together. Why do you talk about cricket for hours together? Because there is an ideology. Yeah. What is the ideology? The ideology is hedonism. Eat, drink, and marry. Who promises you tomorrow? Yep. That's the ideology. If you know tomorrow is not promised and there is a day of reckoning, you would redeem your time because you know the days are evil. So nobody has, even if you don't know this ideology, the ideology is that what spurs you. Your life, everybody's life is empowered by that ideology. So you have to be very, very careful because you may think people are doing casual. They are not. They are empowered by an ideology. They don't have to know the ideology. But the ideology is what is causing them to. But there's only one ideology. Repent. The kingdom of God is here. You do not know when it is coming. Your death or his coming and it is judgment. That changes everything and how you do and how you relate to people. Yes, Pastor Vijay? Yes, Pastor. Yes. So there's another very important, honest and a tough question. This is question number 11. <clears throat> I I understand we need to forgive, but I find it the toughest to forgive my husband. I wish some husband once in a while wrote to me saying that I wish I need to understand. I find it very difficult to forgive my wife. Everything that I get, we get is from wives. They are the weaker vessel, so they suffer more. Every time I try to be a godly wife, he does things that hurt me. And I don't really care about being a wife, the Bible tells me to be. I even start hating him. I judge myself, I forgive him. But again, the same things repeat. I work hard to keep my family in shape. But when I don't see any inputs from him, I lose it. I know this is affecting my walk with God and even our relationship as husband and wife. What do I do? What do you do is you have still have to do what the word of God says. <laughs> you have no choice. You have no choice. Let me tell you one thing. I think we dealt with the marriage question last week. Yeah. yeah this thing. Most 
issues like these kind of issues usually happens in love marriages. I'm not saying other marriages don't have problems. Mm. But these kind of issues are more intense in love marriages because in love marriages, expectations are very, very high. Mm. I'm not saying the expectations are wrong. I'm not saying they are wrong. But they're very, very high. But in a normal arranged marriage, the boy doesn't know the girl, the girl doesn't know the boy, they're only known for a week or 10 days, or families have arranged. Expectations are more general. More general. More let us, I'm not talking about today. I don't know. I don't know today. I sometimes when I go out, like I was telling Pastor Vijay yesterday about Metro. Right? I was saying the only time I see Metro is when we go to bury somebody. <laughs> because I was our burial ground is there. Every time I go to bury somebody, I look around and say, my God, Suchitra has changed. <laughs> you know? So in some ways, I'm a very, very bad, uh, Counselor about what the world is like. And I, but I do think I understand what the world is because of what I read and I see through the systems we have available. But what I'm saying is that when people come from an arranged marriage kind of setup and uh, there's something that uh, religion does, we talk in terms of religion, the, the religious structure in which you come, your expectations are more rational. Hmm. roles are there. This is what a man is. This is what a woman is. This is what a house is, home is. This is what children are. This is what expectations are. They're more very general. And if you look at it, it's very common in all religions. Hmm. doesn't differ. Whether you are a Muslim couple or a Hindu couple or a Christian couple, I'm talking about the nominal, normal, nominal this thing, you know. The expectations are the same. Okay, but when you bring this factor called uh, the worldly love and expectations are a different thing altogether. But the question is here is that as a man, as a woman, are you meeting even the normal expectations? That is important. Normal expectations, a normal contribu- contribution of a man in his house as a husband first and as a father. It's are two roles he has to fulfill. It's a husband and it's, if you have children, husband and a father. And when you're talking in a Christian context, it's huge. It is huge. It is not small. It is huge. It is huge. It is huge. If you, I mean, if you were to ask, I don't know whether Sammy knows or Sammy or Peter, there's a worship leader in uh, Nigeria who just died recently. Very well known. There's so much sorrow. She was battered to death by her husband. She was a very well known God. I mean, I've heard a couple of her songs. I'm, I'm, I'm not so much into lyrics. I like tunes, lyrics and tunes. First I look at the worship leader and she's a, you can make out some worship leaders are like, like in love with God. Absolutely. And she was battered to death by her husband. And there's so much sorrow, so much grief in the body of Christ that a woman was so anointed and that our home was completely different. The woman you saw, I mean, I'm feeling so sorry for now. The woman you saw on this, on the platform and the anointing that blessed so many people. And this is what she was going through at home, in a Christian home. My counsel to every woman who is battered, pack up and leave. Don't stay there. Pack up and leave. 
God will not allow it. Mm. Won't allow society to speak to you. Pack up and leave. Because the man, the husband, is the one who represents Christ in the home. Christ does not beat up his wife. Mm. He will not beat up his wife. Get up, if you have children, take your children and leave. At least let them not get that picture. You have a son. Let him not get the picture. This is the right thing to do. And let not the girl think this is the right thing to receive. Pack up and leave. That's why even in Corinthians 7, the Bible talks about separation. Mm. So don't get this fuzzy, fuzzy idea about that. No, it is not. You may think I'm, I'm, I'm weird, but I'm telling you in the, in the, when God says he hates divorce, he says the reason he violence. hates divorce is because violence mm. causes divorce. Yes. Where there is no violence, there is no divorce. Mm. Even, that's why you'll say even the simple Hindu Muslim families, you don't see divorces among them because there's no violence there. There is no violence there. And when children come, it becomes even more difficult. So the onus is on the men. People don't realize. People think the onus is on the women. Yes, they are responsible too. But when God comes in a Christian setting, he first asks the man, where are you? He doesn't ask E, where are you? He asks man, where are you? Where are you? So the honest representation is on the man. First thing, don't be abusive. Don't be violent. These hands, even with your children, I'm telling you, if you discipline a child, use a rod. Mm. Use a rod. The only thing Jesus cursed was a fig tree. It's a fig tree. God will use nations as rods to discipline Israel. And we use a rod to discipline a child. We don't use our hands. And you have to ask, Lord, give me the restraint and the self-control to use my hands only to bless and not to harm either my wife or my children. Not with my hand. But they should always associate because one day they will grow up. And as they are growing up, they will see the hands were always the same. And there is no rod in that hand anymore. Okay, These are things which you need to understand. And men need to get that. Men need to understand the fact is that you have to take care of your home. Take care of the home. Because we are living and so much men should spend time in their homes now is because we are living in the time there's absolute gender confusion. Breakdown, yes. Breakdown. And if you have a son, he has to see what your father is like. And you have a daughter, you have to see what a man she's going to marry tomorrow is to be like. Because every girl ultimately grows up in a home with a father will pick up a man who closely resembles her father. She's not looking at his looks. You look at her father and you look at the man she marries, they may look completely different, but you look at it, the qualities are the same. If her mother, father was a kind, disciplined man, she picks up a kind, disciplined man. If her father was a violent man, she picks up a violent man, because that's the only picture she knows. And her spirit automatically aligns with it. And that is why men have to be there at home. It's a, it's a job. They have to bring in the provisions. Please understand, the provision has to be brought in by man. And that is, I say, there are three categories of men in the Bible. You find it in First Timothy chapter 5 and verse 8. Three categories of men. It 
If anyone does not provide for his own and especially for those of his household, he has denied the faith and is worse than an unbeliever. So three categories. Unbeliever, believer and worse than unbeliever. KJ will use the term infidel. Infidel, believer, worse than an infidel because the infidel provides for his family. This is important, very, very important. And you have to cry out to God and say, Lord, help me, help me to take. Keep life simple. Don't com- make it complex. Keep life simple and say, Lord, I need to take care of my family. I need to take care of Lord, give me ways so that ultimately I can release my wife to take care of the children. Because the children are the most important possessions a man has. If you want to put, to put it across as possessions, the most valuable possessions. The only possessions you have in life, you can have the possibility to take it to eternity. Nothing else. Everything else you leave behind. But you have to see it that way. Therefore, when you are talking about when who are all these sisters right from all around the world, men have to be very, very careful. Because the, the man, in so many ways, the violent man or the violent woman, whoever is violent, will define the atmosphere of the house. The man is violent, it will show in the house. So the woman is violent, it will show on the house, and it will show on the children. And that's where we have to, we have to. And that is where, then as a solution, we also need a solution. What if your man does not change? The man does not, he's not physically violent, but he's not changed. And some men, it's very, very difficult to change them because I've found out in my life, fundamental issue with men, they are born lazy. Born lazy. It doesn't mean they don't work hard. They will only work hard in things which they like. If they don't like, they will not do it. It's a common character of average man. And that does not mean he is industrious, no. A hardworking is a, a hardworking man or a hardworking woman is equally hardworking in things he likes and he does in things he likes. He does not allow his feelings to interrupt what he knows is his duty. Duty triumphs over everything. So you may not like certain things, but you will still do it because you know you are mandated by the word of God to do it. Therefore, you will do it. And as you do it more and more, after sometimes you realize it's not a burden. You like it. It doesn't cost me anything, actually. And that is one thing with men. Men will, major issue with men. And if you look at Christ, <laughs> I mean, you ask me in that three and a half years or the 33 years of his life, what is that he did that he could like? He was Prince of Heaven, King of Kings, Lord of Lords, in God. I mean, what does he do on earth where he can actually like doing it? Nothing. But he does it. Because he makes it very, very clear. I have come to do one thing. It is the will of my Father and not my We Hearing over and over today also we heard about the cross. That is the practical level, the cross. When you apply the cross, you die to yourself and die to what you want. And you ultimately start living for the other. That's what the cross is. When Jesus picked up the cross and he did not lay it down, even in heaven, he lives to make intercession for the saints. He never put the cross down. He still doesn't live his life. He's still living his life for his bride. So when you pick up your cross, this is what happens. The man picks up the cross, the woman picks up the cross. I'm telling you, it will be a peaceful home. 
joyous hope. In spite of all the troubles you may have, they are all outside. They are not inside. You may have tension in your office. You may have issue with money. You may have everything. But house is a happy place. Because why? The only way, you'll hear it tomorrow, the only way Resurrection Sunday will happen if Good Friday happens. Mm. Where there is no cross, there is no resurrection power. You are still running on the power of the flesh. Right. Resurrection power is released only to those who or those areas of your life where you apply the cross. Where there is no cross, there is no power. And if you try to run on your flesh, at the end of the day you will be miserable. Because that is the nature of the flesh. Because there is nothing good in my flesh. That's what the Bible is talking about. So you go to First Peter chapter three. Okay, First Peter chapter three. A case scenario. The Apostle Peter. Wives, likewise be submissive to your own husbands, that even if some do not obey the word, they without a word may be won by the conduct of their wives. Now let me tell you, put it across very, very clearly. Submission is a big word. It's not just related to wives and husbands. It's related to us at every level. We all have to submit. Mm. Submission is built in. In the system, under the law, we all have to submit. Submission is not obedience. Don't confuse this too. Submission is an attitude where you honor or rever a person because of an office he or she holds. That is submission. Obedience is unto God. So sometimes when your husband says something, like you have a picture of Abraham and Sarah, the law has not given, nothing has been told. But today, if you try to act like Abraham and say, you know what, we are going over there, will you please, will you please, okay? And it's happening I've heard it happens all around the world when men use their wives, outsource it to their bosses for their promotions. The wife has to say, no honey, bye-bye, I'm leaving. You go to Egypt, I'm staying here. Okay, so that is where the problem comes, like Ananas and Sapphira. When Ananas said, you know, we will do it, Sapphira would have said, no, I love you, I honor you, I'm not part of this. I would say, honey, don't do it. I am not coming with you if you are doing it. I am not part of this. So there is honor, submission, and there is obedience. The confusion is often people think submission and obedience are the same thing. Mm -hmm. It is the same thing, only with God. Because mm -hmm. he will never, ever ask you to do something that brings dishonor to his yes. name. He will never, never. So I have to be very, very careful because Indian men will always come with this big stick. I'm talking Indian because we are Indians. Okay, and I guess, but don't ever think European men are different because one of the largest abuse family within the family is in France. <laughs> it's supposed to be the most liberal place, right? But women are battered there. I mean, when I read it the first time, I was shocked. Okay, so, and women cover it. You need to realize women cover it. Why do women take abuse from men? To protect their children. They're not taking, I mean, often women carry the cross, which we don't even see. I mean, I'm talking, I love my father, he was a righteous man, but when he was drunk, he was not righteous, I'm telling you. He abused my mother. He abused my mother. He would beat her up, but she would never leave. She wouldn't, she would never leave, because she would not leave, because she had five children. And they were all studying. And she took that junk for her children. 
Okay, she did not understand Christ or the cross. When I look at her, she carried the cross. And I'm telling you, real battering she took. And we were in there. She was there. And we were all here. And there was nobody to stand in between and stop. So I'm talking about women will go through so much for the sake of their children. Because they are always looking, if I leave, what will happen to my children? Which is true. If she had left, we would have fallen apart. Because a single mother trying to bring five children up, looking for a new job in that time, it would have been impossible. Would have probably been pulled out from all the places where our father put in very good educational institution, gone to government school and gone down that route. So she took, she took, if all of us see where we have reached, yes, my father invested by putting us in good educational institution. As Christ, he made godly decisions and she carried the cross. That's what I'm talking about. Women will do, take a lot of suffering and it's because they're looking at their children. Okay, so men have to be very, very careful because what happens is when we stand before God, Men will be judged by how they dealt with their wives and their children. They will be judged for that. So a lot of men need to meet. So the Bible says that even if some do not obey. So what would we men do? They without one, zip your lip. If you know he's not going to change, what's the point? It's like Leah. One, two, three, four. Look up. Look up, start praising God, stand thanking God, because there is one who loves you anyway. Look at the cross, he loves you anyway. Maybe one by the conduct of their wife, because when you be like that, what happens is that you are blessing your husband, who within quotes is your current enemy, and not cursing, and God is heaping red hot coals on his head, because he's being miserable every time he's being nasty, she doesn't say anything. You see my mother, she's 86 years old. So you see, I see her differently from the way you all see her. You see her as very rough and this thing and all. But you don't know what she's gone through. You don't know what she's gone through. I'm telling you, my father could batter her with a huge thing that was kept as a protection to the rod, you know, that kind of thing on the door. And she would just fall and go to sleep next day morning like a clockwork, get up. Make all his stuff, his breakfast, his lunch, dinner. He was picky like me. Everything in order and kept for him. Not even blink. Not a day did my father go without missing his meal. Didn't matter what happened, what happened at night. He didn't change what happened in the morning. You know why she did it? For her children. For her children. That's why I treat her differently. I look at her and I feel sorry for her. Really, really sorry for her. She's a woman who never knew what love was. Never knew. And there's so many millions and millions of women who got married with all these expectations and hopes because women are more emotional, seek, want love. Mm. They don't find it. <laughs> and where are they supposed to find it? They're supposed to find it with their husband. So they don't find it with their husband. Then they pour it into your children. And the children, they don't find it with the children. Then what do they do? They look miserable. Miserable. Became miserable. That's what Naomi. Husband died. Sons died. Miserable. But you know what God? God gives us such a godly, quiet daughter in law, a Moabite, who brings joy to her. And that's why everybody says, Wow, look at your daughter. 
daughter-in-law. Look at your daughter-in-law. Okay? So that's right. So when they observe your chase conduct accompanied by fear. Okay? And verse 3. Do not let your adornment, yeah, okay. Let, let the hidden person of the heart with the incorruptible beauty of a gentle and a quiet spirit which is very precious in the sight of God. So you're living a different life. Your husband is rude, he's nasty, he doesn't care, but you are doing something because you realize, I need to be this one because this is precious in God's sight. Honestly, I'm telling you, it's old sayings, but they also have scriptural meaning. It takes two hands to clap. Two hands to clap. The only thing I used to tell my mother. <laughs> now I don't tell. If only you had kept your mouth shut. Mouth shut. <laughs> you did not have to aggravate the situation. You knew he was drunk. That is the wisdom of Abigail. When Nabal was drunk, he used to say all kinds of stupid things. But if you notice, Abigail never says anything bad. <laughs> In the morning, when he's sober, she comes and talks to him. And that's basically, you know, women also have to be wise to see when their husband, I mean, that doesn't mean your husband is drunk, but he may be drunk with his problem or his laziness or his anger or whatever. So wait when it is good. Usually in the morning, when he's in a good mood, you need to ask him, do you know what you said yesterday? Do you know what you did? They will say, honey, I'm really, really sorry. And if this goes on for a few days that way, he will change. He will change. But you're not doing anything. You're not being angry. You're not shouting. You're not screaming. That's what the Bible says. The meek and the quiet spirit. If you become a demanding wife, I'm telling you, men will withdraw. Now I'm talking to sisters. If you become a very demanding wife, <laughs> the men will withdraw. Because some of the things which you demand from your husband, only God can meet. That's what, that's what Rachel is telling. Give me children or die. And he says, am I in the place of God? It's, there's a principle there, a principle which you need to understand. There are certain things, even which your husband cannot meet in you. Only God can. And sometimes you're looking that from your husband, and the husband is saying, I am not God, I'm just getting out of this place because your demands are too much. That's what Jacob is saying. You want a child, but I can't give you a child. Only God can open your womb. And you're now threatening me that if you don't give me a child, I'm going to kill myself. Okay, so certain things which women need to understand is that certain things... Only God can give. Only God can give. Now look at that portion. Because this is important because you've got a marriage coming up and I hope the couple are listening. <laughs> and all couples who are married are listening. <laughs> yeah, got it? 30, 31. Yeah, this another, yeah, that one, okay. Now when Rachel saw that she bore, she said, give me children or else I die. die. Okay. And Jacob's anger was aroused against Rachel and he said, am I in the place of God? Who has withheld from you the fruit of the womb? Okay. Now he's talking about something. I want to look at another one. Okay. Look at words 22. I want to listen to it. Then God remembered Rachel and God listened to her. What does it mean God listened to her? Rachel started praying. praying. Rachel started praying. This is the key. There are certain things which man cannot, your husband cannot meet for you. Certain things only God can. You know what? Rachel started praying. Rachel started praying. And God opened her womb. Okay? God opened her womb. And that child, she prayed that barrenness, that, that 
horror that of going that I am not able to produce anything and that cause her to pray, produced by Joseph. Okay. Leah was unloved and God opened her womb. Rachel was unloved and God did not open her womb. Then finally, she cried out to God. God opened her womb and created a Joseph. So we have to look at fundamental principles over there. Fundamental principles over there and realize, you know, men need to know what they are supposed to do. Women also need to know what they are expecting. Let's our expectations be very, very realistic. Very, very realistic. But one thing I would say is that lessen the load of, especially if you are men with children who are not teenagers, who can handle things on their own, but younger children, take the load of the mothers at least a couple of times a week. They may not want you to do too many things, but they just want you to help with the children. Help with the children. No, I don't know. I always feel I have to keep repeating it practically every Q&A. You need to take time off with your children so that they have their time to do their own and catch up, literally catch their breath. Catch their breath. You need to take your kids out and say, you you do what you want to do. You want to take a break, take a break. Go to your friend's house. Don't take the children because a woman will not get a break if she takes her children with her. They will not give her a break. So you will say, you know what, I am staying home with the children. You go out. You go out to your friends. You go out today. Please go out. Leave the kids with me. I will handle them. You do that at least once in two weeks. You know what? Your atmosphere in your home will change. It will change. Your atmosphere will change. This is where men have to learn. And it is not that. Can't you play cricket for six hours? If you like football, don't you watch it for hours? Whatever a man has a hobby, okay? And he has his toys. Your hobby and your toys. Don't you spend hours on it? So you you do have, you don't have issues with attention span. <laughs> you don't have issues with energy. You don't have issues with concentration. You have it all. Just take it and give it to your children. Give it to your children. No, and once you do that with your children, you know what? You will start enjoying your children. God will put it in your heart. Okay, the other one the devil will give you. You don't have to worry about it. But when you start enjoying your children, God will pour out that joy and that grace and play with the children. Tonight I am cooking dinner. All men should be good cooks. My father was terrible. He didn't know anything. But you know what? Till today, till today, I can remember one night when he and my mother had a quarrel and he said, I'm cooking dinner today. And that curry that came out by accident was so tasty. Even today, I can remember that. I've eaten thousands and thousands of meals which my mother has cooked. (laughs) But I can remember that one meal my father cooked by accident. I can still remember. It had potatoes, it had red spinach, and he made this curry for rotis. It was so good. We were literally shocked how well it came out. Okay, But what I am telling you is that, you know what? You can, these are things which you need. Otherwise, what is a home? What is life? What is a life? I, mean, I will give you scripture for men. <laughs> men need scripture. <laughs> you have to beat men with scripture and talk gently to women with scripture. <laughs> okay. Genesis, sorry, John chapter 21. 
Jesus already prepared a meal. Okay. <laughs> and verse 9. And as soon as they had come to land, they saw a fire of coals there, fish laid on it, and bread. Question is, who caught the fish? Jesus. <laughs> who fried the fish? Who made the bread? Jesus. <laughs> who is he feeding? His bread. You're so, I mean, look at the context. Look at the, let's look at context and apply it simply into our lives. Look at the context. Okay. Verse 3 and 4. 3, 4. Okay. And 5. They said, we are going with you. They went out, immediately got into the boat. That night they caught nothing. So they went in the night. Fishermen go in the night. When the morning had come, so whole night they were working. Jesus stood on the shore, yet the disciples did not know it was Jesus. And verse 5. Jesus said to them, children, have you any food? They said, no. 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 And verse 9. Verse 9. As soon as they had come to land, they saw a fire of coals there and the fish laid on it and bread. So what is the principle? Why did he cook? Because they had worked so hard and they were tired and worn out. So why do you cook for your wife? Because she's so tired and worn out taking care of the home. You said, take a break. Take a break. I'll cook tonight. Just chill with the children. Principles in the kingdom of God, how you apply it practically. Don't run away from this thing. This is practical cross. <coughs> so you die to yourself as sitting at the table and feed me. Actually, you tell her, come, I will feed you. That's Christ. So when you say the headship of Christ, the head of man is Christ, it is not walking around with a big stick. <laughs> it is not. The headship of Christ is see what Christ did. Christ did. Right? It's so many of his miracles was the heart of a husband. Feed them something. They said, Lord, send them away. There's nothing here. He said, let's feed them. But we don't have anything. What do we have? Just Philo, just give it to me. Let's feed them and send them. Why? Because they are tired. They have been following us all these days. It is that man, the husband, the father in him that is speaking. He looks at them. He had compassion upon them because they were sheep without a shepherd. Mm-hmm. Or let me tell you the other word. They were women without husbands, widows. Widows, okay? So many women are widows in their homes, though they have husbands. And that's what God is talking about. That's why he says he's a husband to the widow and a father to the orphans. How does how does a child become an orphan? Because the father is absent in his life. How does a woman become a widow? Because the husband is absent in her life. And that's what God is talking about. So please, men, all who are listening... Please, men, don't come back from office saying, I'm so tired. We all know what you do in the office because we all work in the office. There's nothing tiring over there. Tell me. Don't tell me. There's nothing tiring. Unless you are like a, like a, it also involves physical, okay, like our guys at GMR and all. Look at their muscles and their shoulders <laughs> because they are moving machine parts and aircraft engines and all. Okay, that is tiring. 
Okay, but normally a man when he comes tired basically means I tired. I'm so tired because I was talking to my friends over coffee. <laughs> because I've seen this in Kerala. I'm telling you because I come from Kerala. I've seen this in Kerala. The amount of work women do. The shopping is done by her. The children are dropped to school by her. Everything the woman does. And then he expects her to work also at the office. And he will come in his crisp, crisp white dhoti. <laughs> crisp white dhoti. When he goes out evening to his men, he wants his white dhoti has a little wrinkle and he's so upset. Look at my dhoti, you didn't take care of it. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, this is, that's why, you know, that is misogynism. You basically, your actions, you are treating your wife as if she is a slave. Nothing better than, that's when they start using this term, all I am is a rubber mat. He comes, wipes his feet on it and gets into the house. Again, you have to realize where these terms have come and where this has come. And it's been going on for centuries, centuries, every culture. And we need to say that it does not happen in my home. It does not happen in my home. And the women also need to understand this is what it says. I will honor my husband. I'll keep my mouth shut. I will not dishonor. Why? Because the grace of God. I need the grace of God. This man is not going to change unless God puts, does something. But you know what? I need grace to handle it. Because without grace, our house will break. Our home will break. Our home will break. Okay, home will break. So if I need grace, I need to do what God says, by faith. That's where the woman brings her faith, like Sarah. You look at that. Look at that. First Peter chapter 3, verse 6. First Peter chapter 3, and I will give you another verse, so that we will see that. 5 and 6. 5 and 6, okay. Got it? In this, as... In this manner, in former times, the holy women who trusted in God also adorned themselves being submissive to their own husbands. What does it mean? They didn't talk back. They were not like Job's wife. They were not like Rachel. As Sarah obeyed Abraham, calling him Lord, whose daughters you are, if you do good and not afraid with any terror. You do it. You don't have to be terrified what will happen to me. Why? Because God will pour grace into your hope. Look at the picture, Genesis chapter 12 and verse 17 and 18. And the Lord plagued Pharaoh and his house with great plagues because of? Sarah. Not because of Abraham. Yeah. Not because of Abraham. Mm. Because of Sarai, Abraham's wife. So who is bringing the grace of God into that situation? The intervention of the Spirit of God into that situation. It is not Abraham. It is not Abraham. Let me tell you, it is Sarai. And look at verse 18. And Pharaoh called Abraham and said, What is this you have done to me? Why did you not tell me that she was your wife? But who brought the miracle there? It is Sarai. And how did she bring? Because she acted by faith. And the grace of God comes, protects her in Pharaoh's household and brings her out of that situation. So these are principles and you have to do it. Cry out to God until Lord give me grace, give me grace, give me grace, give me grace. And men, ask God for grace to be active and not lazy. In your home. Yes, Pastor Vidya, let us go to the next question. <laughs> I think the pastor is the same. I have no guilt in my marriage, okay? That's why I'm able to say, okay, 
I have done my work at home even this morning. I have no issues, whether it is anybody in the house, my wife, my mother, and I had my tomorrow, day after tomorrow's bride in the house also. Made her all size and what do you want, tea or coffee, chai, pastries, okay? Have your chai, made it, now go get your parents who are coming today. So I have no issues with any of these things. It is built into me from childhood. Always, because I saw my father and mother, and I, there are decisions which I made in my life. One, I'll never, ever be violent. That's a no-no in my life. I will not be violent. Two, I have no issues. I learned to cook, I think, very early in life. When I was in college, I learned to cook. Okay, so you don't have to worry about those things or anything. Any chores in the house is not an issue for me at all. Absolutely no issues at all. It doesn't even take time. We just just apply our mind to it. Actually, house chores are very mechanical. It doesn't need your mind at all. You can multitasking today. You can do a hundred different things while well. Most of the messages which I preach from here on a Sunday morning or a Wednesday morning or a Friday morning comes when I'm making breakfast for my wife and my mother. <laughs> you look. If you are over there, you will see the phone is there, and while I'm doing it, I'm ty- typing the notes out. It doesn't involve brains. It does not involve brains. Okay, so these are things which men can. Because men, when men God says a woman is a weaker vessel, it's not even talking just about emotions. It's also talking about physical strength. We have much more strength than they have. Much more strength than we have. So we have much more energy possible to do a lot of physically chores. Like, you no, know, like putting the clothes for a wash, making breakfast. Now these are things and suddenly you are releasing them to do Conserving them. See, let me ask you this question. If your wife is energetic and has more time on her hands, who gets blessed? Husband. Husband gets blessed. The family gets blessed. That is where we need to understand. So what do I do? This is what the men needs to do. All the men who are listening. And this is what the women needs to do. Now, if you are listening from GTC Hyderabad, don't men go back home and says, don't ask me. I am not Pastor James. I have got feedback. Many of you went back and said, don't expect me. I am not Pastor James. I am not asking you to be Pastor James. I am asking you to be Christ-like. Okay. I am just asking you to be Christ-like. I am just asking you to read your Bible properly, closely. <laughs> it's not James, it's Jesus. It's not James. It is not James. It is God, Jesus. <laughs> Don't see James when it is written Jesus. Just do what he did. Okay. Just so with my children or with my spouse. There is no guilt. There's guilt only about things which I should have not said. But all that, I've always asked for forgiveness. But no guilt about I didn't do my chores in the home or spend my time with the children or didn't cook for them or didn't take them out or do any of those things. And I enjoyed my home. I'm waiting for heaven. (laughs) And I will have a big family. Honestly, and all those children I haven't seen who call me Daddy PJ. I wrote to one of them in another country and said, you know what? You, maybe I will hug you for a thousand years. Because <laughs> <laughs> there is no time in heaven. You, some of you know, that's home. 
This is question number 10, Pastor. This is yes. I think on the same lines. Uh, many tough questions today. Why is God always, why is God always referred to as He? While we say God doesn't exist in a gender. Why always say He came, He saved, He will bless us? Why is it dominantly He? Why not She? And also Father, Son and Holy Spirit. Okay, the reason is it's, um, see, the reason is it is got to do with authority. Authority. Okay. Authority is primarily masculine. Authority is primarily masculine. So if you look at, um, if you look at uh, Genesis chapter 1, Genesis chapter 1, okay, verse 27, verse 27. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and he, female, he created them. But you need to realize, he only created one. He only created Adam. There's no Eve there. Okay, so if you go by principle of what you say, the first principle, first mention, there's only man. There's no woman there. And even woman is taken out of man. Out of man. Taken out of man. So that's why God is referred to as He. So when God Bible says, Hero Israel, the Lord thy God is one. That God is masculine. He's not feminine. But in Him, in Him, as in Adam, there was that feminine. Okay? Adam, that was there in the feminine. In God, there is the feminine. Feminine, that mother, feminine, we are not talking about gender fluidity and all. Mm. Don't get me confused. We are talking about the mother in Him. Often represented by the Holy Spirit. The mother, the mother nature in him. And Jesus will look at Israel and says, how like a mother hen, which gathers her chicks under her wings. I wanted to gather you. That's not a father speaking. That's a mother in him speaking. Okay. So men do a lot of things which are very motherly. And men, again, coming back to the same question. <laughs> Sorry, you're getting it, men. All the men are listening. Okay. Men need to learn how to take care of babies to change their diapers. We say that's a woman. Who told you? Because there is a mother in you to change the diapers, to clean the babies, to bathe them, to carry them around, to put them to sleep. The things we associate with a woman. There is a mother in you. There is a mother in you. There is a mother in you. My simple question is asking is that, let us say Jesus is walking on earth. Jesus is walking on earth. He's actually walking on earth. He's living in. Post the first few chapters in Matthew or Luke, we don't see Joseph. We don't see Joseph at all. Okay. But Joseph was there. Joseph was there, let us say, at least for 10 years. years, 10 to 12. Yeah, 12 years. At least for 12 years, Joseph is there. Okay. And we know Jesus had four brothers and at least three sisters. From names of the sisters are not given. The names of all the brothers are given. So there are four plus three, seven children. Seven children. So I believe the younger ones were the girls. And old days they had children one after another, one after another. They didn't go by contraception, any of those things. They had children one after another. Let us say the youngest child is one year old and the next child is a month old and Joseph dies. Who do you think took care of the small ones? Mm. 
Jesus. Jesus. He changed the diapers. We don't see the other thing behind the wedding at Kana. Why did Jesus? Jesus has never done a miracle. No power ministry yet, nothing. And there is a problem of wine running out in the wedding. Why did Mary come to Jesus? Because she knew she had kids. There was only one kid that was dependable. He would do it. I do believe if there was a baby like that, he took care of him. That's And the disciples never had that habit. That's why he said, don't stop the children from coming to me. And he had no issues. The Bible says he took the little ones, carried them in his arms, he blessed them. The question is, if a man has never been used to this in his home, he will never do it consistently out of his heart, genuinely all the time with any children. Mm. Any children. He could take any children. He will genuinely love children because it is inbuilt into him as a character because he did it at home with his siblings. And that's what Jesus did. He did. Okay, so when Gwen is talking about he, it's primarily because it's a position of authority. Man leads, man is the head of the house. So God, when he's putting it across, because God is a spirit, it's neither man or woman, he's masculine, so God is masculine. Okay, so when the Holy Spirit also has to be put as masculine. Why? Because because in all the pagan religions, when the destruction in India and everything, this thing, it is a woman. Kali, Durga, this thing. But that is a misnomer. The Holy Spirit is put across as masculine and he is the one who destroys. We don't realize it is the Holy Spirit that destroys. So it's put across as masculine. When Jesus calls down fire from above. When he's destroying the Sodom and Gomorrah, I think is the Holy Spirit is sending fire and destroying it all. The Holy Spirit is able to create and to destroy. So we need to realize that is why it is put across as masculine. Otherwise, we will go into the issues, same issues that went into pagan religions where the woman was put across. So you have women goddesses and all, and we have Mother India and all these things that have come in, and the goddesses in all pagan religions, even in even in uh, Greek and Roman, all goddesses comes in with power and this thing and all, and God says that's not what it is. Because what happens, you take that picture, you will destroy your home. Hmm. That's the reason, you will destroy your home. The office is given to man. The woman also has an office, but that is not the same as that man. She has to submit. Otherwise, because when you do not have submission, there is a breakdown of law and order. You cannot have law and order without submission. And if law and order has to be there and submission has to be there, the lawgiver, lawgiver has to be masculine. That's why Paul says, I do not allow women to have authority over man. It will break down. It will break down. So the simple question, even in case of church, is that if a woman is not allowed to have headship in the home, how can she have headship in the church, which is the home of God? These are issues. But headship, not in terms of tyranny. Headship in terms of protection and preservation. That's how God takes care of his creation. He preserves his family. Yes, Pastor Vijay. Pastor, again, there's some uh, very quick questions related to doctrine. Uh, this is question number 13. 
question number 13 quite a few teachings uh, we, we need to look at that one also the last one yeah, also yes. i need it's been pending for a long while okay, okay you want to take that first yeah we'll take that this is uh, this is matthew chapter 8 verse 28 question 14 then it says um, uh, in 828 it is mentioned that there were two demon possessed men again in luke 827 it says only one and the name of the places are different are these two different situations okay <clears throat> whenever it's a theological question i have to look into my notes because theology has to be answered with theology life comes from my heart okay <laughs> life the it's easier because life you have to practice scripture so yeah can i have a question on the on this thing okay so the question is you know about the gadarenes these are important questions we will neglect it because these are important questions is because you need to that means you are reading your bible closely In Matthew it is written about two Luke it says one and uh, it is there in three gospels if i'm right five, okay five. okay now the first thing when you are looking in situations like this okay simple basic principle which you go first thing to look is let us say two gospel writers or three gospel writers or four gospel writers are they describing the same event two in this case the timing of the event in all three accounts are the same immediately following the storm, storm yeah. similarities this guy is ferocious living in the tombs the conversation with the demons the driving into the pigs the drowning of the herd and the response of those people who came there so from that we know all three are describing the same event mm. so the question remains whether there was one demonic or two mm. important listen because i will come to it why it is so important listen carefully okay everybody was listening mark and luke mention only one matthew says there were two now we don't know why but it does not negate the possibility of the second now understand language mark and luke do not say there was only one demon possessed man it simply stated the one jesus met and spoke to him matthew seems to give more information there is no contradiction a contradiction occurs only if one statement makes the other impossible mm-hmm. and there is absolutely no way for them to be reconciled i'll give you the illustration we put two apples on a on a table or let's say ec two cups on a table St- statement 1 there are two cups on the table statement 2 there is only one cup on the table these two statements contradict each other mm-hmm. second possibility statement 1 there are two cups on the table statement 2 there is a, a cup on the table there is a cup on the table there is a cup on the table these two statements oh. don't contradict each other in the same way the biblical accounts do not account um, represent a contradiction okay on the other hand if you look at the common points it is talking about demon possession jesus delivering a person he made a point across the sea he went to save someone all three affirm one thing there was at least one man mm. 
Okay. So, two people talking about one man and another one talking about two men, it does not contradict because it neither, in none of them says they were only one. So, there is. Now, turn with me. Why it is important? Because we are right here. Tomorrow morning. Turn with me to the Gospel according to Matthew. Chapter 8. No, 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 it's not chapter 8. Gospel according to Matthew. Chapter 28. Resurrection, okay. Okay, verse 1. 28, verse 1. So that, verse 1 and 2. Now, after Sabbath, as the first day of the week began to dawn, Mary Magdalene and the other Mary came to see the tomb. And behold, there was a great earthquake, for an angel of the Lord descended. Okay, now go to Mark. Chapter 16. Now when Sabbath was passed, Mary Magdalene, Mary the mother of James, and Salome. Now we have three names. In verse 4. Oh, sorry, verse 4 and verse 8. So the stone and verse 5. And they saw a young man clothed in a log. Now go to Luke. Okay. Luke 24. Now on the first day of the week, very early in the morning, they and, and certain other women with them came to the tomb, bringing the, okay? So now here, what do you see? No names are there. No names are there. First case, two names. Third case, three names and women. Fourth case, uh, third case, no names are mentioned, but all common women. Not saying there was a single man. Notice that there is no contradiction. If one person said women and one man was there, they have come. There's no contradiction. <laughs> okay. Okay. And, uh, verse four. Last, they were greatly perplexed. Behold, two men stood by them. Now there are two men. The other people talk about one man. They talk about, it. they're not saying only one man. This is only saying definitely two men. Nobody is saying that. Have you turned to the gospel according to John? Mm-hmm. Chapter 20. The first day of the week, Mary Magdalene. Now only Mary is mentioned over there. Okay. Are you getting the picture? Two cases, three cases Mary is mentioned. In one case, Mary and somebody else is mentioned. Third case, Mary and two people people are mentioned. But in every case, women are mentioned. In one case, one angel talks to them. In another case, two angels talk to them. And if you turn to verse 11 and 12. Mary stood outside the tomb weeping. As she wept, she stooped down and looked into the tomb. What did she see? She saw the two angels. So, in two cases, one angel talks. In another case, if you look at it, you look at it, read it carefully. The next, next verse. Verse 13. Okay. Then they said to her, woman, why are you weeping? When they said, they said to her, we know both of them are not talking. One person talked. <laughs> right? We know two people will not talk at the same time, the same sentence. Basically, when they said, one is talking, but both are intending the same thing. So if you look at it, there's no contradiction. Hmm. No contradiction. That is also why we know the Bible is true. Because somebody was forging it, they will make every account the same. same. Like Quran. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. 
Okay. So, if you were to ask, okay, if you were to ask, I will see. This is a pattern right there in the beginning. If you go to Genesis chapter 1 and verse 27. We just read it. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. them. Verse 27. Now to came to chapter 2 and verse 7. So God formed man out of the dust of the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life and man became a living. Is there a contradiction? No. Genesis chapter 1 is overall picture yes. of creation. Genesis chapter 2 is, it's like microscope. Genesis chapter 1 is telescope. Genesis chapter 2 is microscope, mm. narrowing it down to man alone mm. and related with man. Man and the garden is mentioned where he is going to be there. And then after that, woman is created. But Genesis one twenty seven is talking about the finality over that. He has created man and woman in his image, male and female. That's how we have to read it. So when you have four accounts of Jesus' resurrection, John's account narrows down to Mary, it's because Mary is going to give the proclamation that he is risen. So it changes. Okay, so it is not talking about the other women at all. It is talking about Mary, how she refused to live. To her it is given. So it is not told Jesus appeared to the others in the garden. It is appeared to her. So it is showing you a different picture altogether. So you have to use your imagination mm -hmm. is that maybe the other women also left. We will go. Body is not here. But Mary was the only one who refused to leave. The disciples left. So think in your mind. When the disciples left, after that the women also left. Mary refuses to leave. And she's still hanging in there, clinging there. So we do not know. We do not know the picture. But the fact is that it's all talking about the resurrection. What is it? Tomb is empty. Stone has been moved away. There's an angelic appearance. Mm. And the words have speak. But in one mm. case, it says, Jesus revealed himself to Mary. And that's mm. how you read it. If one contradicts the other, then there is a contradiction. So you have to be very, very careful about what is the big picture. Does it agree? Yes, it agrees. The tomb was open. Stone had been moved away. There was an angelic intervention. And the Lord has risen. Every case, it is true. That's how you look at it. Yes, uh -huh. Pastor Vijay. Pastor, again, something again related to doctrine. This is question number 13. Quite a few teachings in a bit twisted way have been infiltrating in Christendom about the courts of heaven. To enter or transport ourselves to heaven courtroom and to place petitions or receive answers. Uh, these kinds of teachings by new age religions or new age mixed sort of teachings, quoting Ezekiel visions, etc. and Paul's visitations, etc. So how do we deal with such things? You have to be very, very careful about this. It's infiltrating the kingdom like anything. Infiltrating the kingdom like anything. And you have to be very, very careful. Because even the most godly men can be fooled by this. The reason is this. Jesus, when he came, every time, even to the devil or to his disciples, he quoted scripture. He quoted scripture. You could have told that if you want to really deal with the spiritual realm, that should have been those 40 days in the wilderness. The devil is a spirit and he too is spirit in the body. They could have a spiritual conversation. 
But he didn't say that. He said it is written. Mm. Our faith should rest on scripture and not. Are there dreams? Yes. Are there visions? Yes. Are there outer body experiences? Yes. yes. That's not the norm. Mm. And that should never be the norm. Because if that is the norm, then we are not walking by faith. We are walking by sight. Yep. Absolutely. Mm. It's not faith. It is sight. Mm-hmm. A vision is sight. A dream is sight. It's sensory. Yeah. It's sensory. Mm. And if you're going, okay. So mm. you need to realize when Paul went, he didn't say anything what happened over there. Only in John's case we have because it is been given the book of Revelation and after that it is shut. After that it's shut. Okay, so we have to be very, very careful about these things because it creates hierarchies of believers, those who are transported. And I'll tell you that the issue about the major issue about it, we know with our understanding of scripture, there are three heavens. God is in the third heaven and the devil is in the second heaven and we are in the first heaven, which is material and physical. Second and third are what you call spiritual. So we who are in the body are in the first heaven. And the second heaven is the demons, which is, which is where it is dangerous. And the problem is the Bible tells about that, how the enemy can transform anything. Mm. He can transform himself as Christ, as angel of light, everything. So he can create a duplicate heaven, which looks exactly like heaven. With all the trapping, it's not real, but he makes a duplicate and transport your spirit over there and says, bring your petitions here. Wow. Boy, oh boy. Bring your petitions yes. here. And they will come and talk about how they met Christ and how they had. So you have to be very, 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 very careful about these things. He can. What is there to stop him? He can create illusions. We saw his power with Jesus in an instant. He showed him all the kingdoms of the world and the glory. He showed him that. And he can create an illusion. Okay, like magicians do create an illusion. And you think it is real. Like when it's happening, you think it is real. And after that, you're wondering, how did it happen? Because you come to reality. So this out-of-body experiences, be very, very careful. Because that is there in all occult. Occult thrives. The occult at the higher level thrives where your spirit comes out of your body. So we have Ezekiel being taken in the spirit. That's one thing. And out of that you see it's all judgment. Or you have in Revelation, you see this thing. But that's not the norm. Mm. That is not the way we are called to look. That is not the way we are called to look. Peter doesn't talk anything about that. Does Peter say he was in the spirit? He doesn't say anything in the spirit. Jude doesn't say he was in the spirit. Okay. Paul says only once about him. He never talks about anywhere about the spirit. Okay. Jesus doesn't say, if somebody should have said Jesus would have, Jesus on the other, the one who actually came from heaven is down to earth. Mm-hmm. Anything you ask him, he will say it is written. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it is written. Okay. There are only two angelic interventions in Jesus' life that is recorded. One is in those 40 days at the end of the day, the angels came and strengthened him. And second time is the garden of Gethsemane where the angels, only two times. In 33 and a half years, he doesn't talk about going in the spirit and seeing. He doesn't talk about a dream. He doesn't talk about a vision. He doesn't talk about any of the. I'm not saying dreams and visions are in there, but they should only encourage your faith that even if dream is in there, vision is in there, or the dream or the vision contradicts written scripture, you, dis- you disregard the dream and the vision. You will not put anything above what is written. 
because it is written. And when Jesus comes in Hebrews chapter 10 and verse 7, Hebrews chapter 10 and verse 7, he makes his manifesto very, very clear when he comes. He says, no, behold, I have come. In the volume of the book, it is written about me, of me, to do your will, O God. <coughs> he says it is written. If there was one person who could have come and said, I'm doing this, but it is not written, it was he. He didn't say that. He said, everything you see me saying and doing is written. Because your faith shall rest on scripture. And Paul will say, that's the sure word of prophecy Peter is talking about. Peter is talking about. So you have to be very, very careful. I'm telling you honestly. Let me tell you how I can, that that thing is this NR people are talking about in Christendom. How you can refute it with one scripture. Go to Romans. Chapter 8, 25, 26, if I'm right. Uh, 26, 27. 26, 27. 26, 27. Likewise, the Spirit also helps in our weakness. Who helps? Spirit. But we do not know what we should pray for as we ought, but the Spirit Himself makes intercession for us with groanings which cannot be uttered. Now he who searches the hearts knows what the mind of the spirit is because he makes intercession for the saints according to the will of God. I'm going to Hebrews 10, 5 and verse 7. Who in the days of his flesh, who is that Jesus, when he had offered a prayers and supplications with vehement cries and tears, which I believe groaning in the spirit to him who was able to save him from death and was heard because of his godly fear. The pinnacle of his prayer life is in the garden of Gethsemane. And the spirit is praying through him and he says, take this cup away. The spirit is saying, no, that is not the will of the father. So let me tell you, if that is the pinnacle of prayer, you mean I need to go to the Spirit and put my petition in God's throne through and the Holy Spirit is interceding through me now here? It's just, it doesn't fit in with Scripture. It doesn't fit in with Scripture. That is where we do not exalt any experience about Scripture. We will have experiences, but we don't, I mean, when do you hear me talking about my other experiences? I don't talk about it because your faith should rest on the word of God, not on my experiences. Experiences. Because if I were to take talk about my experiences, you will all say that, you know, pastor had done that is the norm. Now we all need to have that experience, otherwise I am not a believer. No. No. Paul met Christ on the road to Damascus. Is that how people all get saved? No, that's his experience. He doesn't exalt that experience. He exalts scripture. So we have to be very, very careful in this last. There's so much happening in the kingdom of God. Church is mushrooming and every man will say, this is what, because an angel appeared to me. I had was transported in the spirit and the Lord told me and then he suddenly comes up with all kind of gimmicks and everything and all this thing. But you have to be very, very careful. You need to know your scripture. It is on scripture you stand on your fail. And everything about Jesus Christ is, if it is not scripture, it is like, go to 1 John, 1 Corinthians chapter 15 and verses 1 to 3. Because we are sitting between his death and his resurrection. <laughs> Moreover, brethren, I declare to you the gospel which I preached to you, which also you received, in which you stand, by which you also you are saved if you hold fast 
that word which I preached to you unless you believed in vain. For I delivered to you first of all that which I also received that Christ died for our sins according to scripture. If you don't hold on to the scripture, your faith is in vain. Mm -hmm. And if Christ did not die according to scripture, his death is in vain. Scripture. He was buried and he rose again on the third day according, according to scriptures. The first witness okay. of resurrection is the yeah, scripture. Everything right? is scripture. Mm-hmm. It is scripture. It is about scripture. And Jesus says it is written. And when the Pharisees misinterpreted a lot of things, he said it's because you don't understand scripture. Mm-hmm. Oh, he is he's saying, no, no, you don't understand. You know what I am doing here? This is outside scripture. You need to grow before you will understand. This is not in scripture. He doesn't say that. He says, you don't, don't understand scripture. Everything that is happening in my life is written. It is in scripture and you don't understand the power of God. Okay. Because God has constrained himself with what he has spoken. That's why he says he has magnified his word above all his name. And the word of God is forever settled as far as I'm not saying everything God speaks or spoken is in scripture. No. But as far as our this life on earth is concerned, everything that God has spoken has to be tested with scripture. In the next age, we will hear so many things which were not there in scripture. <laughs> not that God can be contained in the volume of this book. But God has contained himself in this volume of who for us for this life. Amen. That is the, that is why we exalt the scripture. And so be very, very careful because this is how the deception takes place in the last days is because if you look at every one of them who comes over there and who deceives, he will bring something that is outside scripture. Outside scripture. That's why the Bible says finally in the book of the book of Revelation, anyone who adds or subtracts, this is it. The canon has been closed. We use the term canon, which means law. The canon has been closed. With the book of Revelation, it has to be closed. It is closed. God can talk to you personal life and all that is okay. But even when he talks to your personal life, he will not contradict scripture. That is how you need scripture. How? Because there is the Holy Spirit and there are so many spirits. How do you know? I know that I know that I know it's the Holy Spirit is speaking. Yes. But what if a demon speaks exactly according to scripture? How do you know the difference? Not according to scripture. In that voice, quiet, gentle voice. How do you know the difference? Scripture. Scripture. No. And even if it's the spirit speaking exactly according to scripture, you still not accept it. That's what happened to the woman in uh, the girl in Philippi. He looked at it and he says, "What she's saying is absolutely true." But you know, the spirit is wrong. He rejected. He said, "I don't want to hear anything from you." But she's true. But the spirit is false. (laughs) It's a lying spirit speaking the truth. (laughs) It's a contradiction. But it's a... Even even uh, in the uh, in the case of the rich man and Lazarus, he says, if somebody goes from uh, goes from raised, I mean, if somebody is raised from the dead, they will believe. And Jesus said, if they don't believe the law and the prophets, even yeah, if some, if somebody somebody. Is, and the danger, I will yeah. tell you, that da- the real danger is that if we do not ground our lives on the Word of God, the written Word of God, and irrespective of your situations and all, we ground our word, our life on the Word of God. And you know what? 
we don't do that and we just go by our feelings and these things god will allow allow lying spirits to speak to us wow if you look at ahab going to his death who allowed the lying spirit to speak god. through 400 it's god who allowed why because this man will not allow the word to speak to him will not allow the word to speak to him so god says you know what i will allow the other fellow to speak to you And that's why the Bible is Ezekiel also the same thing. If you go to a prophet, the prophet is true. With an idol in your heart, I will allow the prophet to prophesy to you according to the idol in your heart. And they think, wow, I got what I want. God said, you don't realize it's judgment. You didn't get what you want. You would wish this never happened in your life. That's where you have to be very, very careful. The deception is rampant in the last days. rampant in the last days and he has magnified so i don't have to go in the spirit to heaven to put my petitions nonsense that's not the word of god says i can sit right here and through the spirit of god make my petitions to god i pray with understanding and i pray in the spirit paul says i pray with understanding but sometimes when my understanding is not able to fathom for a solution or what is actually happening what is the actual problem that i am facing because let us say you see a, you have a problem in your life and you want a solution but you are not you are it's like a math you are only able to understand this problem so much but the actual problems are beyond your understanding so you pray in the spirit you say lord you know what i need a solution god says i will pray through you i will pray through you and the spirit of god in that spirit prays through you and your petition goes to god amen Yeah. but by allowing your spirit to be uh, involved with the spirit of god it's a humbling mm-hmm. but i don't understand it's an act of faith it's not that you're transported in the spirit and your petition with understanding is now put before god what nonsense where did jesus pray like that he didn't pray like that he didn't look then in the garden of gethsemane angel should and be coming down he should have been going up to put his petition before his father he didn't do that No? so don't don't be very very careful ezekiel with these visions and all are, are different paul's visitation what did he speak about the visitation tell me people who talk about paul what did he nothing. say nothing speaker <laughs> express it nothing he didn't say anything no revelation is a different thing it's a book of revelation it's about the last days daniel's also is connected with the last days but that's over it's done it's closed I'm not saying you cannot have out of body experiences. I'm not saying you cannot. That's not the point. This is all junk with you talking about. You have to be very very careful. Anything, it's a dream, a vision or out of body spirit be taken. It will align with scripture. It cannot break scripture. It cannot contradict scripture. It has to agree with scripture. Okay? And if it is already written, then what you say does not make any difference because already there you are only encouraging something somebody or a group of people by bringing what is in scripture in a new way that's all you are doing mm. making it relevant to your time yes. but bringing it out of the spiritual realm that's all you are doing yes pastor which will call you yeah, we'll call, call it a day right. tomorrow is resurrection yes. sunday i hope the resurrected people will all come yes. Maybe lunch also. Yes, yeah, but we won't say on this that our church already knows. Okay. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> Because there are people who come for the meeting, and there are people who come for the eating.
we shall meet and eat i mean again scripture jesus never fed anybody before he preached <laughs> first he preached until they were tired and then he fed then he accomplished that's why we gtc we feed people very well because we tire them by our preaching that we feed them <laughs> Okay, so you cannot say we are so tired. Pastor service was three hours. Well, we're giving you lunch also. Don't worry. Okay, we'll close pastor service. Father, we just thank you. We just thank you. We just thank you, Lord. We just thank you. We commit this night into Thy hands, O Lord. I pray, Father, Saturday night in some places. Saturday morning in some places, the powers of darkness mm. are all out. The devil has come out with great wrath because he knows his time is less. But we stand steadfast in faith. The Lord who promised is faithful. Faithful to finish the work which he began. So we stand by faith. Our eyes are upon you, Lord. You will bring us through this night. You will bring the others through the day. Tomorrow morning, if you tarry to come tonight, we gather in your house about all we believe you will be there that's all we ask you will be there the rest will follow everything will fall into place if you are there everything will fall into place that's all we ask lord come sup with us when tonight we receive your rest we need rest about everything else we cannot solve our problems but we can receive rest mm-hmm. cast away all our burdens onto you and receive your rest knowing when we sleep how we slumber god our father is at work <coughs> for us thank you thank you father thank you lord your hand rest upon every home every individual every child comfort heal deliver strengthen provide lord meet your people at their point of need yes lord thank you lord thank you for in jesus name we pray amen amen amen, amen. amen.